is from Acts chapter 14. And if you don't have a Bible, there are some like on the back there. So if you want to raise your hand, um, people will get you one. So, yes. Before we begin, let me pray. Dear gracious Lord, thank you so much um, for your word. Um, thank you that it teaches us um, and trains and rebukes us, Lord. Um, I do pray that you would speak through your word, um, that you would teach us and that you would help us to obey what you have to say, um, that you would remind us of our salvation in the Lord Jesus. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe, and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the good news. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the men jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We two are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Verse 21. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they now gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. 
Bibles open at Acts 14. We'll be looking into Acts 14 today. I wonder what you guys talked about when you talked about decision making and when you've had to make a big decision, what your process is. Um, you know, maybe you've, you've been asked to step up into a new role at work. Um, maybe it's something like, you know, you've been asked to serve on some committee at school or something like that. Or maybe one of your friends um, has asked you to do something ridiculous like run a marathon with them, you know, and you're like, what do you, have to, what do you have to do to make a decision like that, right? And I know there's some of you who do ask people those, those sorts of things. Um, when, when you get asked to do something like that, you have to ask yourself one question. You have to ask yourself, what is this going to take, right? What is it going to take? What does it involve? Um, what are the costs? Um, and the reason you ask that is so you can weigh it up and see whether it will be worth it. That's actually really important. When it comes to following Jesus, it's actually no different. We are all here today uh, for one of two reasons. Right? We either want to follow Jesus Christ or we're investigating whether Jesus Christ is worth following. Yeah? That's, that's why we're here today. So today's sermon is actually really important because I'm going to point out two things from God's Word that really tell us what it takes to follow Jesus. Perseverance and suffering and true humility. Right? And then we're going to look at those things and we're going to see, do you have what it takes to follow Jesus? And do you think it's worth it? Right? This is really important for us today. Now, Acts, it's been a massive journey through the start of the church, the early church. Um, if you're not familiar with it, that's what we've been looking at. Uh, the last few chapters uh, especially have been huge. We've seen the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, actually breaking through barriers. It used to be confined to the Jews, uh, the Jews only, but now it's a breaking barrier so that all people, all nations, Gentiles as they're called in the Bible, can now hear the gospel. We saw that especially in Acts 10 last week where a Roman centurion, uh, he actually got converted. He became a Christian. He started following Jesus Christ and that has started a huge spread of the gospel. Um, I'll put up a little map here. Uh, what happens next is the establishment of the first multi-ethnic church, not Jews, uh, multi-ethnic church in Antioch. You can see Antioch down the bottom near that sort of number one uh, in the modern day area of Syria. Um, the first multi-ethnic church. Uh, and the church starts growing, it starts um, expanding, more people start getting saved. But amidst the growth of the church, something else grows too, uh, persecution of Christians. It's actually in Acts chapter 11, which we haven't covered in sermons, but in Acts chapter 11, what happens? King Herod actually kills one of the apostles, the apostle James. He gets killed. And he puts Peter in jail. But even this doesn't stop the spread of the gospel. The gospel keeps going. In chapter 13, uh, Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, are commissioned by the Antioch church to be sent out on what is known as Paul's first missionary journey. And this is what this map actually is. And we pick it up today in Iconium, about halfway through the journey. You can see Iconium up the top in the region of Galatia, uh, which is where you get that book of Galatians from in the Bible, right? So we pick it up about halfway through this journey. Paul and Barnabas have been traveling all around, over the seas, walking everywhere, just trying to spread the gospel. And we pick it up in Iconium. And have a look at verse 1 with me. We're at our first point, the divisive gospel. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. 
But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So we see Paul and Barnabas preaching in the synagogue. That was the usual thing. They went there to preach to the Jews first um, and then to the Gentiles. And many people are saved. Verse 1, a great number of Jews and Greeks believe. But in verse 2, the Jews who refused stirred up other Gentiles to oppose the gospel. And you see here, all, like all throughout Acts, you see two responses, right, to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It brings division. Some believe the good news of Jesus. Others oppose the good news of Jesus. Now, jump with me down to verse 4. Verse 4. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. This message, this message, it brings division. Very rarely does the gospel, when it's properly explained, bring about some sort of neutral, passive reaction like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter. The message, you think about this, what the gospel actually says. The message that we are all sinners bound for hell in need of salvation brings about two responses. It's either a conviction of our deep need for a saviour, or it's a defensive, self-righteous response. How dare you judge me? The message that we aren't good enough to save ourselves and only Jesus can save us brings about two responses. A humble trust in Jesus or a proud rejection of him. I don't need Jesus. I'll save myself. The gospel necessarily brings division. There's only two sides. There's no sitting on the fence when it comes to God. We need to be ready for that as we speak the message of the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas are ready Look at how they respond to the opposition. Verse 2. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly to the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. It's pretty amazing what happens there. Did you notice the logic of the connection? They're being opposed in verse 3. So Paul and Barnabas spend more time there. People are hostile to the message, so Paul and Barnabas spend even more time with them. I wonder what we would do in that situation. This is courage. These guys, they don't run at the first sign of trouble, but they don't go seeking it either. After spending as much time as they can with the Iconium citizens, they find out there's a plot uh, to actually kill them, to stone them. Essentially, they capture them and crush them with rocks. So they actually flee to the surrounding towns in verse 7. Um, it says this, where they continue to preach the gospel. Friends, we have to be ready for the division that the gospel brings. As you follow Jesus, you are called to speak the good news of Jesus. This is what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. This is something we need to know. You need to be ready for two things. You need to be ready for the joy of people meeting Jesus and finding new life, eternal life. But you also need to be ready for the pain of people rejecting you because they reject Jesus, your king. This is a package deal. So don't be surprised by suffering. Hang in there when your family ridicules you, when your workmates make condescending remarks, when you feel foolish talking about Jesus Christ. Don't give up, yeah? And don't give up on your friends. But also, don't be ashamed if you need to move on at times because the persecution is so intense. The apostles did the same. Keep praying for those people, but perhaps God has given you other opportunities around you, other people he wants you to speak the gospel to as well. 
What new opportunities is he giving you? Wherever you go, whatever you do, whoever you speak to, just be ready for this, that the gospel will bring division. It will bring division, friends. It's a message of life, but not everyone will accept it. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. So Paul and Barnabas, you see this. And you see what happens is they flee Iconium up the top there of the map. They flee Iconium and they go down to Lystra. The next stop is Lystra. And our next point, which is this, misplaced worship. Paul and Barnabas, they come down to this town of Lystra and it starts with a bang their time. What happens is that uh, there's a lame man uh, on the ground. Uh, He can't walk from birth. He hasn't been able to walk and he's listening to their preaching. He's listening to their preaching and then Paul sees him, sees that he has faith and he reaches out his hand and says to him, get up and walk. And the man jumps to his feet and he starts walking. It's a miracle. This is a miraculous sign of God's power here. But we have to stop and ask, why is this happening? Um, have a look at verse 3. I'll put it up on the screen, actually. This is when they were in Iconium, but it's the same principle here. Why is this big miracle happening? Verse 3 says this. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. Here we see the purpose of signs and wonders. The message of God's grace is confirmed by signs and wonders. It accompanies the gospel preaching and confirms the gospel preaching. Signs, they point to something, don't they? And these miracles are pointing to the fact that these men have authority from God himself. What they speak is true. These are the same miracles that Jesus performed, remember? The same miracles as Jesus came and brings back a new era in history where he rolls back the impact of sin and death. And sickness, that's what it's all pointing towards. And the Lyconians, they love it. They respond to this miracle. But it's actually in an unexpected way. Um, The passage tells us this. Uh, They see this miracle, and then they all bow down, and they start worshipping Paul and Barnabas. Probably the last thing these guys want to write. And they're like, the gods have come. The gods have come. And they call Barnabas Zeus, the Greek god of sky of the sky and the thunder, the king of gods. And Paul, they call Hermes, uh, considered the herald of the gods, the god of messengers and speakers, which is um, probably understandable since Paul was the one doing all the preaching, right? Um, and what even happens, even a priest from the temple of Zeus, which is just outside the town, comes and they bring some live bulls and they're just about to slaughter them and go, I'm gonna, we're going to sacrifice these bulls to you. This is crazy. <laughs> probably what they didn't expect. And here, we actually see the dangers of miraculous signs, don't we? Of signs and wonders. Do you see how quickly the Lyconians' hearts were captured by impressive power? Do you see? Now, for the Greeks, spirituality, it was part of their culture. You know, they had a multitude of gods they worshipped. Um, but it still strikes me how quickly they bowed down and worshipped two random guys that came into their midst. You know, and they were willing to give everything to them. And I think this highlights something about all of us as humans. I think it highlights that we were made for worship. We have an innate desire to worship. We, we actually want to give praise to something or someone. We want to give worth to something or someone. Something, we, we want to do something, um, ascribe worth to something that's most valuable or good in our life. 
what is it that you devote yourself to? This is in all of us. Um, Tim Keller's got this quote, which I really love. You don't get to decide to worship. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what to worship. I think it hits at the core of what it means to be human, that we were made to worship. There's something in our hearts where we want to praise and worship someone or something. The question is, is that the right thing in our lives? We're waiting for someone to step onto the throne. More often than not, the things we worship, they're the things that are impressive, aren't they? We worship, think about this, we worship money not because we think little plastic notes are really great, you know, that these are things are fantastic, but because of what money brings us. Money can bring us power. It brings us power to do whatever we want, to buy whatever we want. To give, it gives us the power to choose, to have financial freedom, that ultimate goal, right? That means you can just choose to do what you want. To have freedom in a way that those who have less money do not. It's actually very impressive. We worship our careers... Think about this, not because the job itself usually is something that we love so much. You know, sometimes it is, but not usually. But it's because of what it brings. Not just money, but often the lure is the status, the influence, the respect, the fame that comes with you being, I don't know, the best specialist in the city, the most respected lawyer around, the most successful business owner out of all your peers. That's impressive. That's impressive. Or maybe for for us it's a person, that special boy, that special girl, who is amazing, who is so kind, loving, funny, who you just want to spend all your time with. They are so special. They're incredible. You'll do anything for them because they're so impressive and you love them. Maybe even more than you love God. Friends, what is it that is... Feeling that worship-shaped hole in your heart? Is it something impressive that would just fade away? We were made to worship. We were made to worship our great God. Our great God who's infinitely more beautiful and satisfying and great than anything else this world can offer. And if our heart is not rightly focused on worship of the creator of the universe, then it's going to be captured by the next impressive thing that comes along, let me tell you. And then when you get bored of that, there's something else that will take its place. But these things will not satisfy because you were not made to worship these temporary things. You were made to worship God. Friends, please don't get deceived into misplaced worship. It won't bring you what you're seeking. As we return to the story, um, I want you to put yourself in Paul and Barnabas, uh, their shoes, right? The Lyconians literally are bowing down at your feet, ready to give sacrifices in your name. They're going to give you whatever. They're ready to do anything for you. What would you do? Well, we see the the response in point three, which is right humility. Uh, Verse 14. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Jump down a bit. Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, Friends! Why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. I'll just stop it there. The apostles are incredibly distraught that they're being worshipped. They tear their clothes, which is a sign of grief and distress. They're so distressed about this that they reject this worship of them. But think, 
Think about this. What would have the temptation been for these two? Right, think about what you know, the situation. These guys, what have they been doing? They've been wandering the countryside, walking for hundreds of kilometers from city to city with barely a penny. They're preaching to people, half of who literally want to kill them. We often talk about having security in our lives. These men, they had nothing. They had none of that, right? And the Lyconians were ready to give them everything. Everything. Money, fame, power, sex, any, anything they wanted. They were literally treated like gods. A whole city was bound down to them. They could have had it all. And unfortunately, over the ages, we've seen many leaders give in to these temptations, haven't we? And it just destroys them. And the sin in this case is not so much worshipping someone, something else or someone else. It's worshipping yourself. Putting yourself on the throne. It's pride. It's arrogance. It's self-elevation. It's narcissism. It's all those things. But this is not Barnabas and Paul. It's what's encouraging. Have a look at verse 15. Look at what they say. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news. Telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Let's stop there. To the living God. Here we see humility. The apostles tell them to turn from worthless things. They're talking about themselves. Turn from us. We are worthless. We, we're nothing. We are false gods. Turn from your idol worship and turn to the living God. Turn to the living God. Why? Because the living God is the God who, verse 15, the second half says this, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Did you notice as they um, give this little message, this little defense, it's very different from what they've said before. It's, um, so far in Acts, this is the pattern that there's a miracle and then the apostles, they explain it. And what they do is they talk about Jesus, his death and resurrection. Um, and the reason they've been doing this is because the crowds they've been talking to have been predominantly Jewish crowds who had the Old Testament, they were waiting for a Messiah. So they were drawing on this existing knowledge, right, to preach about Jesus Christ. Uh, crucified and resurrected. But this is a new crowd. They had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea about any of this. So you see the apostles, they start in a very different place. This is contextualizing uh, for this crowd. Not, not changing the gospel, but adapting the message so that it can be understood. And their starting place, actually, is about who God is. And the, foundational, the foundational truth that they bring out is this. God is the creator. This is a really important point to bring out if we are to understand anything. Everything flows from this. Everything flows from this. He is the one that made the heavens, the earth, the seas, everything. If this is true, it means something that he alone is worthy of worship. And the only reason that we even exist is because God in his kindness created us. This is a big truth. But not only is he the creator, God is also the provider. Look at what Paul and Barnabas go on to say. Verse 16. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. This is what we call common grace. Common grace. It means this, that everyone, everyone, regardless of being a Christian or not a Christian, gets to experience God's blessings in some shape or form. Whether you're Christian or not, the most basic um, things, you know, God, God blesses you with. He, 
gives us rain, is what it says, so that everyone can be nourished by food from the land. This is someone, something that everyone gets. And what else does it say? It says, He fills our hearts with joys. He gives you the moments of joy in your life that you enjoy. Did you realize that? Every laugh you share with a close friend, every smile that your child brings to your face when they do something silly, every amazing meal you share with close family, every beautiful forest you get to trek through, every sunny day at the beach, every single joy in your life, it radiates from God. He provides that. Even if you're not a Christian, you need to realize that that is from God. That's His gift to you. That's His gift to all of us. And here's the question. How should we respond to that? Because God is the creator. And because God is the provider of every good thing, guess what? God alone deserves worship. God alone deserves worship. Paul and Barnabas, you see what they do. They humbly take the focus off themselves and they redirect it to God. You know, it just bounces right off them. Yeah? I remember one of my mates, he came and preached one of our camps for us and he had this image that, you know, it's like we're wearing these, uh, these like reflective helmets and every time something comes, some glory comes to us, it just bounces right back off, goes back to God. That's what we were designed to do. We're supposed to be mirrors. Mirrors. That bounce the glory back to Him. They take the focus off themselves. Because they know something. They know that God alone deserves worship. And I think we can learn something from these two, can't we? I know we aren't all superstar apostles who can heal people and make them walk. And you know, we probably aren't, don't have as much danger of people worshipping us as gods. But it can be easier. It can be easy. The more successful you get, the more influential you get, the higher up you go, to take the glory for yourself, can't it? Remember, uh, uh, Paul Tripp uh, says this quote, which I really love. He says this, Remember, you are simply a window that people should look through so that they can see Jesus more clearly. A window that people can look through so that they can see Jesus. That's what we are. He was saying this particularly about preachers. And yes, I think those who lead, and this is something for you guys to know, if you lead in this church, if you're up front, you know, as you lead your teams, your groups, as you lead music up here, um, the question we all have to keep asking ourselves, are, are, are people praising us or are they praising God? Yeah. Is, are we being glorified or is God being glorified? Is this ministry about us or is it about God? That's what we have to keep asking. But it's not just people who serve in church in leadership roles. It's all of us, isn't it? We all need to remember this. There's a lot of talented people here in this room. Highly intelligent, musical, academic, sporty, capable, successful. Praise God for those things that he's given you. But here's my question. Do people praise you or are they praising God? when they see what you can do. We need to redirect the glory to God like a ray of light hitting a mirror. How do we do that? Well, when someone praises you, um, give it back to God. Give it back to God. There's just one thing to think about. Now, this is something I really struggle with. Just like the rest of us, guess what? I love being affirmed. I love... Who likes being praised here? 
Be honest, be, be honest. Yeah, they're the honest ones here, right? <laughs> I love being affirmed. I love being praised. I love taking glory for myself. So I really struggle with this, but I try. I have to put practices in for myself to actually try to do this. Um, give you, I'll give you some examples. And once again, I'm not perfect at this. But when people say to me um, sometimes after a sermon, oh, that was a fantastic sermon. And trust me, it doesn't always happen, but people sometimes, sometimes people say that to me. Um, and I know I've worked really hard on that message. I spend a lot of hours on that because preaching is really hard work. But I always try and point people back to God's word and say, well, actually, this passage was great, wasn't it? Such a great passage. And I believe that genuinely, but I just got to let my pride get out of the way so I can do that. Another example is when people say to Lee Ching and I, you guys are amazing. You've got five kids and you're still alive. You know? <laughs> or they say they're so well behaved. How do you do it? You know? I know Ching and I, we, spend, we work really hard to parent our kids. We sacrifice a lot for that, you know, to teach them, uh, discipline them when, when it's needed, teach them the gospel, uh, teach our kids to follow Jesus. But I, tr- I try and always point it back to God to say, you know, well, it's only by God's grace that this is possible. And I genuinely believe that because no way we could do this by ourselves. But once again, I need to let my pride get out of the way to keep redirecting people back to God. So friends, how can you re- redirect the glory to God? your creator, your provider. Maybe you're scared to be a bit of that, you know, uncool Christian who's always saying, praise God, bless God. You don't have to be contrived or cliche about it, but there's definitely opportunities for you, you know, as people praise you, affirm you, just go, say things like, you know, I'm so thankful to God for that, you know. He's the one that's enabled me to do this. You know, make it part of your everyday conversations. Bring that God talk in. Because if you believe it, talk about it. And start directing the glory back to God. Paul and Barnabas did this. This is what it takes to follow Jesus. Humble worship. Are you willing to put off yourself and redirect people to God and His glory? Paul and Barnabas did this, but still they struggled to stop the crowd worshipping them. That's what it says there. They struggled to stop people killing bulls for them. But things take a sudden turn. We're at our final point, which is this. Unsurprising suffering. Acts 14 Verse 19. So they're just about to be sacrificed too, but then what happens? Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Well, things changed quickly, didn't they? The crowd, moments before, were worshipping Paul. Then they turned around and dragged him out of the city and they started stoning him and tried to kill him. I don't know what it was that the Jews from Antioch and Iconium said, but it says this, the crowd was won over. Uh, Essentially, they found something more impressive, or they found some people more impressive. Do you you see how fickle our hearts are when they're not set on God, right? If they are captivated by God, they'll turn from one thing to the next. But does violent persecution stop Paul and his gospel mission? Have a look at verse 20. What's it say? But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. And went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Paul makes an amazing recovery. He's, think about this. He's literally just been crushed, left for dead um, by heavy rocks, right? But it, it's a miracle. He gets up, and one day later, here's the map going, he leaves for Derby. You see that up the top in Cilicia, near Cilicia. And he's up there, 
And what's he doing? Why is he in such a rush? Verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. You can see the priority of preaching Jesus Christ, proclaiming Jesus Christ in Paul's life, right? He won't even let death stop him. <laughs> He's not deterred by violent opposition. He's seeing this is part of the package. The gospel brings division, remember? But also it's worth it. He wants to see people saved. So much so that after going to Derby, you see that on the map, converting heaps of people, what does he do? He actually goes back to Lystra, uh, the place where they almost stoned him to death. He actually goes back to Iconium as well, go passes through a place that he had to flee because they were trying to kill him. He goes back to places where they were persecuting him. And he brings a message to the church there. And what's his message? Well, verse 22 is the message. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And this is the message he leaves to strengthen the churches. Friends, I wonder if we understand this message. Over and over again in the book of Acts, we've seen a pattern come out. Live for Christ, suffer for Christ. Live for Christ, suffer for Christ. And this happens particularly when you're a messenger of Christ, because you're, when you're speaking the gospel, because guess what? The gospel brings division. You'll stand out. People will oppose you. It's not an option. This is a necessity here. This is what it takes to be a follower of Christ. It means to suffer for Him. Don't be surprised by your suffering. Don't be surprised. I'm not sure if I've shared this story with um, you guys all, but uh, when I first started as a pastor yeah, quite a few years ago, six years ago or so, uh, someone, uh, someone actually started a Facebook page uh, that was set on defaming me and Li Ching. Um, and on this page, they uh, post up pictures. Or they, they grab pictures from I don't know, um, the CP website, things like that. Uh, they started writing horrible things, um, you know, about us uh, leading people astray, da-da-da, things like that, right? Um, and let me tell you, I was really just, I don't know, shattered. I was, I was so anxious, you know, I couldn't sleep. I had no idea who this person was. Trying to get Facebook to take it down. Uh, it, took, it took ages before anything happened. Um, I don't think a lot of people saw it or not, but... Um, I think I wasn't expecting that. I think I was really surprised when that suffering hit, when that persecution hit me. But at that time, I think scriptures became real to me. Uh, John fifteen twenty was the verse I remember reading. It says this, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That became really real to me at that time. Yeah. That's when I realized that actually stepping out preaching the gospel, being a Christian, people are going to oppose you. And that's really, really hard. Trust me, that was a really, really hard moment of my life. My friends, I realize that's what it takes. This is what it takes if you're a true follower of Christ. 
a disciple of Jesus. You know, obviously I'm a pastor, I've got a bit of a, you know, I'm out, um, people see me a bit more than you guys, but I think we're all called to stand out from the crowd, aren't we, as we follow Jesus Christ? A disciple of Jesus stands out in the crowd, and really, that, that's why we get persecuted. How will they know who to persecute if you look exactly the same as them? They won't. But if you stand out for Jesus, it will come. Friends, the call from our Lord and Saviour is this. Mark 8.34 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This means that we have to be ready to die for Jesus, to suffer for him, to give him our all. And the question is, are we ready for that? Do you have what it takes to follow Jesus? Are you willing to humbly deny yourself and glorify God in every situation? So it's not about you, it's about Him. Are you willing to suffer for His sake, to give it all for Him? Friends, this isn't optional. This is what it takes. But it's also really hard. The one takeaway I have for you today is to pray for these things. Pray for these things. This week, I don't want you to go forcing humility, all right? I don't want you to go seeking suffering. Don't worry. If you live like a Christian, these things will come. But I want you to start with prayer. Deep, genuine prayer. Pray that God will give you a willing heart to make it all about Him. Because we need a revolution in our hearts. So that God is what it's all about, not us. That we need to be willing to give it all, even to the point of suffering for Him. It needs to start here. Will you do that with me this week? Just start praying. Because we need God's help to actually live this out. I was going to finish today um, telling you about how this will all be worth it in the end because you'll get eternal life and joy and satisfaction at the end. And this is a great promise that we do need to hold on to. But I thought I ended a little bit differently. I thought I ended like Paul and Barnabas does. Pointing to God, not us. Because what makes living for Jesus worth it? What makes speaking for Jesus worth it? Ultimately, it's not about us. Ultimately, it's that God will be glorified and worshipped on that final day in heaven. That's what makes it worth it. As a multitude of people bow their knee to Him, each one of those converted through the words of a friend like you. As a multitude of people like you persevere in their faith through suffering, and Jesus says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. As a multitude of people gather around that throne in heaven, praising God, our good creator and provider, he will be glorified. And that, brothers and sisters, that's what's worth it. Let me pray. Father God, we pray to you and ask for your help today so that we may devote ourselves fully to you. You are our creator our provider, our redeemer, our saviour. You have given us everything and we ask that in turn we may give our lives to you. Help us to be willing to suffer for you, to do what it takes to keep following Jesus, to not give up. Help us to be humble so that our hearts are turned away from us and towards you. We know that sin always battles inside of us to want to do the opposite, but we pray for your grace and your mercy and the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us 
so that we can, in the end, bring you all glory, honor, and praise. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.